Hello, and welcome to the All Things ADHD podcast from Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD. Hello, and welcome to All Things ADHD. I'm your host, Susan Booning. I am Chad's Director of Communications and Media Relations and the Executive Editor of Attention Magazine. My guests today are Dr. Joseph Frederick and Dr. Stephen Becker, and our topic is Cognitive Disengagement Syndrome. Welcome, Dr. Frederick and Dr. Becker. Would you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Thanks, Susan, for having us. I'm Stephen Becker, and I'm an associate professor in the Division of Behavioral Medicine and Clinical Psychology at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. And my research largely focuses on cognitive disengagement syndrome, as well as sleep difficulties and other co-occurring problems that children and adolescents with ADHD often face. Really glad to be here, Susan. So I'm Dr. Joseph Frederick. I'm a clinical psychologist in our Center for ADHD at Cincinnati Children's. And so I do assessments, individual therapy for children and adolescents with ADHD, and run a number of our different evidence-based groups that we offer here, and recently started our new clinical service that's focused on children, adolescents, and families who, who may have cognitive disengagement syndrome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us today. My first question is, why did the name of this syndrome change from sluggish cognitive tempo to cognitive disengagement syndrome? Absolutely. And so as a starting point, I think it's helpful to describe a little bit about what sluggish cognitive tempo, or what we are currently calling cognitive disengagement syndrome, even refers to. And so these are symptoms such as excessive daydreaming or mental confusion, fogginess or staring behaviors, as well as kind of a slowed down or underactivity that individuals may encounter. And in terms of the history of these symptoms, they were first identified really by happenstance, that there were a few items that were included on parent or teacher questionnaires that had a long number of items. And at that work, this was in the mid, early, early mid-1980s, there were some individuals who were really trying to understand the structure of what at the time was attention deficit disorder, we now know of as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. And in those early studies where they would look at those items, a few items kind of fell out on their own. At times they were called sluggish tempo, slow tempo, and the construct came to be known as sluggish cognitive tempo. And that's how it was for several decades. But as research progressed, there really was a, a very important recognition that the term sluggish cognitive tempo both might be pejorative and offensive to families, and then also might not actually reflect the current state of the science as we currently know it. So currently, sluggish cognitive tempo implies that there's cognition that is clearly slowed down. We see that in some individuals, but not consistently across the board, that it's a that it's a necessarily an identifiable marker or a consistently present aspect of the children or adolescents or adults who have this set of symptoms. And so it was in 2020 when we were all able to do and move to doing virtual meetings that a 13-member work group was organized, both to think about what might be a term that we could all agree on that would reflect the current state of the scientific evidence, as well as setting the agenda for research for the next decade or so. And so through many active, lively, enjoyable discussions, which were challenging, we arrived at the term cognitive disengagement syndrome, where one aspect of the syndrome does reflect that cognitive disengagement aspect, the daydreaming, the confusion or fogginess, but then also recognizing the hyperactivity piece also being a strong component of that. So that that underactivity 
for those slowed behaviors. And so that's really what led to the change in terminology. And a number of years ago, actually, Dr. Frederick and I did some interviews with families whose children had elevated CDS or SCT symptoms at the time. And about 50 of them did find the original sluggish cognitive tempo terminology to be a little off-putting or not quite fit with their child. And so we took that as also further evidence that it might be time for, for a name change. Now, even before the name change, when was this condition first identified? So these symptoms were first identified in the mid-1980s. There was some research in whether or not these symptoms might identify children really at the time who had a what was referred to as a pure inattentive presentation. So a lot of inattentive symptoms and very few, if any, hyperactive impulsive behaviors. That research, as it progressed, didn't fully support that possibility. And even research on this set of symptoms kind of slowed down for quite some time until it kind of picked back up right around 2000 at the turn of the century. But so it's been looked at at least for some in some way, shape, or form for the better part of four decades at this point. And what are the symptoms of CDS and how are they different from the symptoms of ADHD? This is a wonderful question. And so if we think about, obviously, attention problems are present in, in those with ADHD. Those are marked by difficulties with task persistence or sustained attention, external distractibility, forgetfulness, carelessness. And I think it's important to note that the research was really first dedicated on, are the CDS symptoms, are they different than ADHD inattentive, or are they, are they redundant? And fairly consistently over the past several years, as Dr. Becker was talking about, is that these symptoms are strongly related with each other, but they're also separate. And one way to think about it is that the type of attention difficulties for those with CDS appear to be more marked by internal distractibility. So Dr. Bechter was talking about the, the daydreaming, the getting lost in one's thoughts, the staring off, the zoning out. That is a little different than a child who may be rushing through their work. They're off task. They're externally distracted by things in their environment. And I think another example would be for a child in a classroom, they may appear to be listening and their eyes may be on the teacher, but internally, they may be off in their own world. They may be thinking about something else. They may be zoning out or staring off. Additionally, we know the, the mental confusion or the fogginess. So children and parents describing their, their child of having some sort of brain fog, having a hard time expressing their thoughts. And then opposite of the hyperactivity or the restlessness, the impulsivity, more of this pattern of hypoactivity, kind of a hard time getting going, the tiredness, the sluggishness, the sleepiness. So those are the symptoms. Obviously, there's some similarities with the inattention, but there's also those nuances that really speak to a unique type of attention difficulties captured by CDS. And then how is this perhaps different from the inattentive presentation of ADHD? Absolutely. And that's the presentation that we know CDS is more strongly associated with. So the, so the symptoms of the inattention, as, as Dr. Becker mentioned early on, these symptoms were, were found in, in the children who had the inattentive presentation with fewer, if any, symptoms of hyperactivity, impulsivity. So as I said, if we think about the kind of the executive functioning deficits that children with the inattentive presentation have of the, with the working memory, the forgetfulness, the carelessness, this seems to be more of this, as I said, this kind of excessive internal distractions of the mind wandering, the lost in their thoughts, and then more of the behavioral symptoms of kind of the tiredness, parents saying that their children 
is often having a hard time getting going in the morning or they're taking a long time to complete activities. That's different than children with the inattentive presentation where we hear that kids are, they're rushing through. Maybe they're having trouble paying attention to details. These children seem to have a a little bit of extra time and more time they need to complete their day-to-day activities. So those are some just some examples that speaks to the differences with the inattentive presentation. Thank you. And yes, internally distracted was the title of the excellent article that you wrote for Attention Magazine. That is in our April 2023 issue. Now, are there some conditions that coexist more often with cognitive disengagement syndrome? It's a wonderful question because even though the early research showed that CDS symptoms are, they're related to inattentive symptoms, but they're different, kind of the next step was to better understand, are these symptoms, are they meaningful? Are they, are they contributing to kind of day-to-day any impairments or, or functioning? And we think about ADHD, we know that individuals with ADHD are more likely to experience both externalizing conditions. So Temporal loss, difficulties with emotion regulation, oppositionality, and internalizing symptoms of anxiety or depression. One of the most consistent findings that we found over the past several years in our research is that when we look at both symptoms of CDS and ADHD together, CDS is is either unrelated or even negatively associated with those externalizing symptoms of the oppositionality, the noncompliance is strongly related to symptoms of depression and anxiety. And if we think about one of the possible mechanisms there is Dr. Becker and I have talked a lot about that internal distractions is that if individuals are lost in their thoughts or their mind is worrying, they may be more prone to rumination or more prone to the excessive worry that they experience. We also know that even though the children and adolescents with cognitive disengagement are cognitively disengaged, we've also learned a lot about their social functioning. So a lot of studies have shown that these individuals are more likely to be passively rejected from the peer group. So rather than being actively rejected because of impulsive behaviors or disruptiveness, they're more likely to be kind of disengaged or kind of on the outskirts or more withdrawn from their peers. That might be for a lot of reasons, such as the anxiety or difficulty with social skills or maybe their preference. But we know that if social disengagement and isolation withdrawal, that that could lead to a a risk for a lot of long-term outcomes for these individuals. So those are some of the conditions with the internalizing and also those unique impairments with social functioning. That's right. And there are also some conditions that I think often coexist with CDS, but are more in the early stages. But we do have some preliminary findings from a few studies now that CDS symptoms are pretty frequently elevated in autistic individuals, as well as uh, there's some indication that there's only a couple of studies that have looked at this, but that a fair number of parents of children with elevations in CDS have, their children have had previous diagnoses related to either language delay or delayed motor skills and coordination. And so those are some things that we don't have a lot of research yet on, but there's some early preliminary findings pointing in that direction as well. So then how is CDS diagnosed? What diagnostic tools are available? And does a comprehensive evaluation need to be made as with ADHD to determine whether a person has CDS? 
It's a, it's a great question, Susan. I think it's important to take a step back and recognize that at this time, CDS is not recognized as a mental health disorder. So this is nothing that is included in the DSM, which is what clinicians or providers would use for making diagnoses. So that's posed, I think, some challenges in our field with maybe the difficulties with the awareness or being able to identify these kids who are seen in, in evaluations or getting a therapy, for example. Definitely for a number of reasons that we talked about on how it's related to ADHD, depression, anxiety, and Dr. Becker talked about few studies showing more likely to be common in kids with, with autism or also maybe language delays, that definitely a comprehensive evaluation it is recommended, similar to how we would do an evaluation for, for ADHD. And so, for example, in our CDS service that we've opened here at Cincinnati Children's, we take a comprehensive approach where we are really trying to better understand, first, if CDS is present or elevated in kids and how, if so, it's impacting their, their kind of their day-to-day functioning. So we use a, a number of different tools, such as getting parent report of measures of ADHD internalizing symptoms. We've made a lot of progress with assessment tools that are designed to capture the, the nature of CDS, where early on, those were some ad hoc, just a few items that were on these broadband rating scales. Dr. Becker and some other colleagues have done a lot of great work on different measures, such as the child and adolescent behavior inventory, child self-report measures, teacher ratings. So using those tools to understand if CDS is present, in addition to those good differential diagnostic skills that we recommend in mental health. So if there is the presence of ADHD or depression or anxiety, just trying to get the full picture. And that's what we've been doing in our, in our service is collecting all of those ratings, having a parent interview, having the child interview, making those observations, and then coming up with how CDS might be a part of their clinical picture. Now, does CDS affect both children and adults? Does it affect more females than males? Are there estimates on the prevalence of CDS, either by age or by gender? Studies that have used large, either representative samples across the country, primarily in the United States so far, or really large community-based samples recruited from, from schools and the communities, have generally found a prevalence around 5%. That's largely also, though, how those studies were able to identify children or adults with clinical elevations. So it's a little tricky in terms of overall prevalence where we really don't have that much information. That being said, in studies that have looked specifically in individuals who have been diagnosed or have elevations in ADHD, we see that there's elevations in CDS symptomatology in 25 to 40% of youth with ADHD. And in the studies with adults, it's around 45%. So yes, absolutely is present in children. Certainly like ADHD does not appear to go away in adulthood, although we don't, these are, we don't have longitudinal studies that have followed children with CDS into adulthood yet at this time. But certainly there's a pretty high co-occurrence in ADHD specifically. In terms of sex and age differences, there is some indication that CDS symptoms might increase as children turn into adolescence and perhaps then into adulthood. And like Dr. Frederick mentioned earlier, we know that there's a strong association between CDS symptoms and depression symptoms, for example. And we often see depression symptoms, especially in women, increase in adolescence and into adulthood. And so it's possible that CDS symptoms kind of are parallel to that. Although I'll also point out that in the limited number of studies we have, its CDS symptoms appear to predict 
depressive symptoms more so than the reverse being the case. And then in terms of sex differences, it's quite strikingly different from ADHD. So we know that there's quite a higher percentage of boys as well as men, although it's not quite as large in adulthood, but still more boys and men being diagnosed at least uh, with ADHD than girls or women. That shifts quite a bit when we're talking about CDS. There might be some still differential where it's slightly more men or males have CDS symptoms, but it's nowhere near as large of a difference. And there might not be any difference at all, depending on the study that you look at, um, when looking at any sex differences in CDS symptoms. So very stark difference compared to what we see in terms of ADHD. Now, I'd like to ask just to shift for a moment to speak to parents. What would parents be looking for? And Susan, are you thinking about kind of parents of what they might be looking for if their child may have, may present with the CDS symptoms? Yes, if they're, if they're wondering if this is the, the more appropriate diagnosis for their child or if they've even heard of this yet. Yeah, I think that is such a great question. And one of the reasons we wanted to, to develop our service here at Children's because a lot of the studies that we were doing in interviews with family were communicating to us this kind of this fact that there wasn't this kind of a lack of awareness of what this was, where to go, which specific strategies. So I think if we think about this, the symptoms like we talked about and some of the language that families have used, they've kind of used their own, their own terminology to describe these symptoms, such as children appearing like they're in their own world or they're zoning out or they're, they're staring, taking a longer to respond to either questions or commands, not because of that impulsiveness or the external distractibility, just taking longer to get their kind of their thoughts into words. And then with the hypoactive behavioral piece, the families were using terms such as needing more time or, or slow moving. Families saying the morning routine was particularly difficult for children just to kind of get up and being able to stay awake and maintain that energy throughout the day. So I would say those are kind of the symptoms and what the behaviors and the terms would look like. And then certainly that we know some of these kids that we've seen in our clinic have, have had previous diagnoses of inattentive ADHD with concerns for depression, anxiety, the social withdrawal, maybe the sleepiness. So those might be cues based on the diagnosis and those co-occurring conditions that CDS may be present. Thank you. That's really great information. Now, what are the treatments? For CDS? Are there behavioral interventions that help or any particular medications that might be effective? And what do those interventions target? So where we are right now, we don't have any specifically designed evidence-based treatment for CDS specifically, but we have, we know from a few studies that interventions designed for children and teens with ADHD, primarily the inattentive presentation, may show some promise for decreasing CDS symptoms. So for example, there's been a few studies looking at homeschool interventions like behavior parent training, teacher consultation, school-based accommodations that has been shown to reduce CDS symptoms. In addition to homework and organizational skills training seems to be helpful as well. We have another study that was designed for looking at how do we help sleep and teenagers with ADHD showed promise that a behavioral sleep intervention, they had pretty strong effects for teens report, parent report, and teacher report on decreasing CDS, which hopefully from our listeners and what we've talked about, 
One of the piece might be the, the hypoactive, the sluggishness, the tiredness, the sleepiness. Maybe improving sleep and sleep quality and quantity may be effective for those behaviors. So where we are right now in the field is really looking at, are there ways of either modifying these interventions for ADHD to address CBS or developing some of the new interventions? And what we've been doing in our clinic, where we've been seeing families and children with CDS, it's really taking a multimodal approach of using different interventions like the behavioral parent training, but maybe emphasizing certain components. So when we're giving effective commands, allowing enough time for the child to be able to process and respond to the, to the command, ensuring that the child is really paying attention. So those attention checks, having enough time throughout the day given the nature of CDS. So making sure there's clear time limits that we're externalizing time, but providing that enough cushion for them to be able to complete their day-to-day activities. And then I also think one of the things that we've been doing is how can we communicate this to teachers? So in our reports is looking at what the symptoms of CDS may look like in the classroom. So even though they may look like they're paying attention and they're listening, just knowing that's still important to do those prompts, or those redirections, those attention checks, ensuring enough time. So those extended time might be an accommodation that would be helpful. And I'll let Dr. Becker talk a little bit more about this as well, but some of promising interventions that I know we've, we've brainstormed, we've talked about on the working group. One of them is mindfulness-based interventions. How can we help children and teens re-engage in the current environment? How can we build some of the awareness of the mind wandering, the spacing out, and really help anchoring their attention back to the present? This is something we have a lot of interest in. and We're hoping to, to be able to do some research studies on mindfulness. And then also the things like behavioral activation, the, the improving sleep, really helping with those daytime behaviors, maybe social skills training. We know for kids with ADHD, it's been inconsistent on, on social skills training being effective because of the more of the generalizability and the performance-based deficits. But for these children, since there's more of the withdrawal passivity, can we help build some skills on entering a conversation, having back and forth play with others? So that's where we are now. We're taking that multimodal approach, emphasizing certain components, but trying to start to come up with some specifically designed interventions for these individuals. And then finally, with medication, we know that stimulant medication is the first line for, for kids with ADHD. We'll say the medications, we only have a few studies, so nothing we're going to talk about is, is going to be firm recommendations. There's some evidence that suggests that children who are elevated in CDS may not respond as well to the stimulant medications. And there's been a a few studies showing non-stimulant options like atomoxetine might be helpful for reducing CDS. But again, a lot of those, there's very few studies really awaiting replication, but there's some suggestion there that if an individual also presents with CDS, they may respond differently to these treatment options like medication. And so then in terms of the way that we often talk with families related to this is really just to give them a heads up in terms of similar to what we think about current practice for ADHD medication as it already is, but a little bit more that we'll do for these families in terms of we don't have enough to change clinical guidance or practice at this time. And so we'd still, when you talk with your provider, your prescribing provider, you're going to think about likely a stimulant medication that may or may not work or might may or may not work at the dose or at the formulation that's initially prescribed. That doesn't mean you should necessarily 
give up. And that there are other formulations, including various non-stimulant medications that may be effective specifically for children who have this type of presentation. Are there guidelines yet for the diagnosis and treatment of CDS? Are they under development? So we don't have, right now, we don't have any specific like practical or clinical guidelines given for a number of reasons we've talked about where the, given that we've named, the the term was changed, the cognitive disengagement syndrome, given that we're not recognized that this contract, that this construct, this collection of symptoms is a, is a mental health disorder that could put in a, a DSM and make the diagnosis. So I think that has really hindered the ability to come up with some of those specific practical guidelines. I think one way to think about it is for really any, we have practitioners, psychologists, pediatricians that routinely are involved in evaluating and diagnosing ADHD. Our hope is just to really disseminate and communicate this important and meaningful type of attention difficulties that are present in a number of children with ADHD, or it might look on the surface like ADHD, but these symptoms may also be captured by CDS. So I think right now it's a lot of this trying to disseminate information, speaking with parents and teachers and getting information out. So those who are already evaluating and treating individuals with ADHD also have this awareness of this unique kind of subset of individuals who have CDS. That's important because it also, we know, as we've talked about, is impacting internalizing conditions, sleepiness, and all of those other kind of daily functional impairments. And so I think building off of what Dr. Frederick said, I think often what we're doing is talking with families about having ADHD with features of CDS, even if CDS is not in and of itself a diagnosis. And we've received numerous emails from families who, when they come across that, this, this set of symptoms, they have said, it's like I was seeing my child described on paper for the very first time. So talking about what these behaviors are and how they might play out in their daily lives. How do they impact their mornings, their evenings, their afternoons? How do they or do not they impact their peer relationships and their academics, their extracurricular activities? And then I think related to that, also doing a careful assessment about what types of domains might not only be impacted, but in what are the ways that children, these symptoms or behaviors might impact the decisions that are made. So we have some indication that there's also some really positive attributes that these children have, that they might be very creative, that they might, it might foster imagination, which is really a wonderful thing. And then they might be more inclined to enter more artistic or smaller group or dyadic activities, which might really be less overwhelming or more challenging for them. So also thinking about not only do the, how do these behaviors impact things in a more challenging way, but also how can they be maybe useful in terms of strengths? And even related to that, coming back to one of the things Dr. Frederick mentioned about our enthusiasm or interest, at least in mindfulness for cognitive disengagement syndrome, I think one of the things that we're really intrigued about is the fact that when we've talked to these children and these adolescents, they've clearly indicated that sometimes the extent to which these behaviors occur can impact their lives in ways that they do not like. That being said, they've also said that they don't really want to totally turn off the daydreams or eliminate them. So then it's thinking through in what contexts or what environments might they be less likely to cause difficulties and be useful rather than in the reverse. And so those are some of the things that we're really trying to think carefully about, especially when we work with individual families and patients, that we want to think not only about eliminating these behaviors, which isn't the case, but really thinking about in what contexts and environments they maybe are or aren't as useful for them. Now, presently, 
Who would be qualified to diagnose and treat CDS? Anyone who is well-qualified to assess for mental health conditions, including ADHD, would be able, in my view, to be also able to assess for CDS. Again, not to belabor the point, but recognizing that it's not a disorder or a diagnosis. And so being careful in terms of the language that's used with families around that, but certainly the measures that Dr. Frederick was talking about, these are rating scale measures that are quite easy for families or teachers or children or adults themselves to complete. Some of them do have normative information where a clinician could gather T-scores to really see whether or not elevations in the set of symptoms were present as part of a comprehensive assessment that they are doing. And all I will build on what Dr. Becker says was those who are giving diagnoses, since there's not, like we said, that official diagnosis, we are thinking about it as the features of cognitive disengagement. So diagnosis might look like the inattentive presentation with features of cognitive disengagement, where we've had some families where the attention difficulties, they again, they look like ADHD, but maybe they don't fully fit the criteria. And if a clinician or provider believes that CDS maybe better captures, then we also have other specified with features of cognitive disengagement. So like, like Dr. Becker said, anyone who's well-qualified to provide those evaluations, thinking about it of those features that are important and are meaningful for that individual. Now, keeping in mind that our audience will be parents, educators, as well as professionals, I always like to ask this, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you would like to tell our audience, or in this case, audiences, I think the only thing that I will that I will say is that when I've when I've talked with families, when I've talked to teachers, or gotten feedback from teachers, I think one of the examples I think about is if we imagine just a, a classroom full of students, and for children who have the hyperactive impulsive behaviors or the, the symptoms, from a teacher's perspective, it's it's apparent. Those are clear behaviors: the getting out of your seat, the fidgetiness, those impulsiveness. The inattentive symptoms from a teacher's perspective or other individuals may also be apparent where if there's trouble paying attention to details or organization, that external distractibility. I think the one thing that I've gotten feedback and learned is that children with CDS are less likely to be disruptive. They're less likely to have that hyperactivity, impulsivity. They may, the eyes may be on the board. The eyes may be on the teacher. But as we've talked about, they may not be fully engaged are focusing in the moment. So one of the things I've heard is that a lot of children, teenagers, my concern is maybe they they are missed or they're under the radar in a sense because those behaviors are not as apparent. And I think that speaks to the importance of these symptoms and the communication to others that there are these other set of attention difficulties that are important because that child may miss out on but the lesson is might miss out on what they're talking, the content is, and we know the cascade of effects that might have. And I think secondly, and I'll let Dr. Becker share his thoughts is for all of these reasons was one of the main things why we wanted to develop our CDS service at Cincinnati Children's and families and educators and other professionals. If they're interested in learning more about our service, they can find that on our Center for ADHD webpage. We offer services in person and also for families who are in a state that's licensed through SIPAC. So we can provide the telehealth services where we're really focused on that evaluation, coming up with treatment recommendations specific to how the child's CDS symptoms are impacting them. I think what comes to mind in addition to what Dr. Frederick shared is how clear when I've talked with families or received contact or emails from families is just how 
clearly they are trying to best understand their child, just like I, as a parent myself, am doing. And I think I really commend those parents for their efforts to learn about things like CDS, largely not because mental health professionals know about it, but because they as parents are going out, searching and trying to see what they can learn themselves to hopefully understand and ultimately help their child. And so I'm really struck by that. And it really compels me as both a researcher as well as a, a clinician. And I think related to that, I think a careful provider in doing an assessment will always try to understand not only what is happening, but also the why behind it. And so as one example, Dr. Frederick mentioned that these children might be really passive or disengaged from their social or peer relationships. We don't actually, we have some ideas, but we don't really know why that might be. And I think it's possible that some of these children or individuals find themselves to be, that they don't have the skills, which we could build in a carefully designed skills treatment around social skills. For others, it might be that they find really, especially chaotic environments or where there's a lot of people going on, there's less structure, like during recess, to really be overwhelming. And then that's thinking through, that might lead to a different approach to intervention. And so I think if you're a parent listening, thinking through that and being sure to talk through that with your provider, but then also if you're an educator or a clinician yourself to really not understand whether or not these symptoms are happening, which is really only the very first step, but to then working with your, with your student or with your patient to then understand as best as you can the why behind those behaviors that are happening, which then hopefully can point to more clear intervention directions. Thank you both so much. This has been wonderfully informative. Thank you for having us, Susan. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you for listening to another episode of the All Things ADHD podcast from Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD.